Hello and welcome to the Finogo FinTalks podcast, where we connect you to the latest in regtech, compliance, and anti-money laundering activity. My name is Dana Sigadu, and I'm your host. Today we're talking about sanction screening in the Know Your Customer journey, the power of APIs, and what's key to creating an efficient technology partnership. I'm joined by Paul Yetzi, Channel Partner Manager at Affinitiv, and Sonam Puri, Director of Product Partnerships at Finogo. Hi, Paul. Can you just tell us a bit more about yourself and your history working at Refinitiv? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks so much for having me, first of all. Um, so my role at Refinitiv is I'm a channel partner manager covering the Europe, Middle East, and Africa region. And what that basically means is I work with all of our uh, partner network that takes all of our data, makes it useful, and uh, delivers it to all of our clients in a meaningful way. So we have uh, loads of different types of partners. Um, ranging from uh, KYC AML screening uh, to digital onboarding to trade-based money laundering. And it's a quite a broad network. We have over uh, 200 partners uh, globally. Um, so yeah, so my job is very much coordinating with them, using them as a channel in which we deliver our data to our customers. That's great. Sounds like a really interesting time for you day to day. And you've been working quite closely with Finogo for a while now, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So Finergo has been one of our uh, very as key. Partners. Yeah, as partners. <laughs> uh, Finergo has been one of our key strategic partners for several years, and the, the reason for that is their uh, reputation within the market, uh, the customers that they serve. They're very much aligned with the customers that we uh, see as key strategic customers ourselves. So it's it's a great combination of the technology that they provide with our data plugged into it to uh, provide a best in class combined solution. Mm. Very cool. And Sonam, can you tell us a bit more about what you do day to day and what you've been doing for in partnerships at Finago? Sure. So I manage our product partners. Essentially, these are partners that complement or augment our existing solution. So we've been working very closely with Refinitiv to act as a screening provider for us, um, especially in Sanctions and PEP with their very well-known product, WorldCheck One. Very cool. And so Finogo and Refinitiv have been working together for a really long time now, I think nearly half a decade or over half a decade. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. And so in your experience, I mean, I don't know of many partnerships that tend to last a particularly long time, especially in the finance and fintech space. What's the secret to a long and effective business partnership when it comes to these sorts of things, especially where, you know, there, there, are, there are circumstances where sometimes you're on the same side and you're all selling to the same people and sometimes you're maybe at cross purposes. Yeah, so I, I personally, I think it's all about trust. So when customers come to uh, a company like Finergo, they're doing so because uh, they either have a good longstanding trusting relationship already, or they they know about that trust and they're able to build it. And that's something that we uh, very much find as important in terms of being a partner, bringing trust in terms of the data that we provide. Our clients rely on our data to be timely, accurate, efficient, suit their needs. So that combination of the trust that Finergo brings, the trust that we build together uh, with with the partner and also with the, the mutual client that we have together, mm -hmm. it, it's so important. And the fact that we can build that trust together is why we've had such a successful relationship over the years. Yeah, I, I completely agree with what Paul said. And from our perspective, well, check one, you know, it's market leader. Um, but the way we work together, like it is very, you know, efficient. There is a lot of trust. We can, you know, trust that the work is going to be delivered to the best standard for our clients. Um, also, reliability, that's important as well. And making sure that the support is there, especially when things go awry. 
um, and then credibility in the market as well. Um, that's super important. Great. And uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about World Check One in passing, but what exactly is World Check One? What does it do, and and why does it matter so much to? Uh, World Check is uh, it's a risk database, so it's it's ultimately data at the end of the day. But World Check One is the platform that makes that data uh, deliverable and make it fit into partner platforms such as Fenergo. So uh, World Check One is a way to uh, deliver that data via an API, but it's also a way for clients to fine tune and tailor exactly what they need to screen for, so they have full control over. Uh, the name matching controls and settings that are relevant to them, the different sources that they need to check against. So not all sanctions lists or all uh, PEP data may be applicable, but because of the way that we've structured our data and the way that clients have control with that World Check One platform, it makes it very easy for them to use the data in an efficient way. And again, that, that's really the delivery mechanism and how we plug into uh, Fenergo, which takes that data and makes it meaningful in an overall process. Cool. So it sounds like a really like important data filtration system, essentially for for checking sanction screening, etc. Yeah, it's it's you know it's not just filtering; it's also uh, making the data useful throughout the client lifecycle over time as well. So it's not just doing a simple search or a check against the database today. Maybe that's when you're onboarding a customer and doing that initial screening. But what it also provides is continuous ongoing screening as well. So that's that's really important when you're. Uh, evaluating the risk of a customer or needing to review them, whether it be a periodic review or every single day, just being mm -hmm. on top of the risks that might be presented. Interesting. So, I mean, I've always thought of KYC and that whole that whole part of the journey, the, the compliance journey, as like a gatekeeper protecting regulated businesses and you know keeping bad actors out and keeping the good customers in, essentially. But it sounds like it goes. Through through partnerships, we are able to move beyond that essentially, and and it's really about having that ongoing relationship with the with the the end customer, and I guess providing like ongoing security. Like, yeah, you know, risk isn't static. You know, there's there's levels to risk. Mm -hmm. There's it's not a, a binary, uh, uh, you know, risky not risky. You know, there's levels to things, mm -hmm. um, but ultimately the. Fenergo is a CLM system, client lifecycle management, and there's a lifecycle to a client. Uh, and I, th I think one of, the, one of the things that Fenergo's really been doing lately and that we're seeing more in the regulatory spaces anyway is this reliance on, on SaaS, really, to, to deliver more effective KYC solutions and more effective um, ways of understanding customers. How are you finding um, SaaS as, as a whole in uh, synthesizing feedback from multiple customers to create gradual improvements and improve product over time. Because I think one of the things that we've seen in the financial institution space for a very long time was big static products that would have huge rollouts once maybe a quarter, maybe once every half of the year. Whereas now we're, we're in a situation where because of digital transformation, because of SaaS technology, we're able to have gradual iterations and gradual improvements on a very uh, at a very rapid basis. Do you think that's had a real uh, impact on how how Refinitiv and WorldTrek One delivers its solutions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's a few things there. I think with, with SaaS, it's, uh, like you mentioned, it, it's giving capability and, and giving the ability to deliver functionality to end customers 
and reach a lot of end customers with that new capability that's being delivered in a quick and efficient way. So when it comes to uh, improvements or delivery of data into systems that are SaaS based, uh, it, it's, you know, it, it's monumental, you know, it's, it's really important for us to be aligned with where technology is going. SaaS is very much a way in which software companies are providing a lot of value to their customers and API is being plugged into SaaS platforms and enhancements and improvements that get rolled out continuously are uh, a great way for us to deliver the content that we deliver and also the enhancements that we deliver. Again, nothing is static. We're always continuous and continuously improving things and being able to be connected with SaaS providers, it, it's a huge benefit. Yeah, and it also makes life easier for us to make any upgrades uh, to our platform and make sure that we keep up to any developments you know, on the other end as well. Well, I wanted to dig into that a little bit actually because it's, it's, great, it's great to be able to iterate on a regular basis and, and, and at speed, but obviously that's something that underpins the, the relationship as a partnership, right? Is if only one person is iterating and developing, that's, that's not going to be great. So how do you make sure that you're keeping parity as a partnership? How do you make sure that, that's, that you're not making changes that are going to maybe even outstrip that someone else is going to do or will be maybe fundamentally incompatible? Like, is that something that you're finding is, is a struggle or is that something that's just like baked into the general approach? So I, I think it just comes down to being properly aligned and connected. Uh, and whether that's what one customer is looking for today, as well as looking you know, two, three, five years down the road of what's the strategy of that partner and where are we going to be best aligned mm -hmm. longer term. And, and ultimately, it's about you know, being open, being transparent, communicating and staying on top of things. You know, we ultimately want to win business today, but it's even better if we can win business today, keep business in the future, and win even more business going forward after that. Mm -hmm. uh, that makes, makes total sense, right? <laughs> like, but I think, I think, so for me, one of the major reasons that I work in the anti-financial crime sector, and I imagine probably for most people who work in the anti-financial crime sector, is that goal of one day ending financial crime, right? Yeah. And I think everyone knows that it's, it's too big to do on your own, right? No one company is going to solve this problem. Uh, maybe not even any one country is going to solve this problem, right? It's, it's going to have to be a huge collaborative group effort. How do regtech partnerships like Fenogo and Refinitiv, how do, that, do they chip away at the enduring problems of fin crime? So, uh, you know, like you said, it's, it's, it's a problem. It's, it's not a problem that will likely ever go away completely. I think that's, you know, the utopian, that's, that's the goal, but, yeah. but getting there is, is um, something that we always have to continuously work towards. So it's all about continuous improvement, getting there uh, in a way that's effective, uh, but it's also not prohibitive, prohibitive uh, to doing business together with customers. So it's always about finding that balance of how can we collaborate? How can we stay on top of what trends in the market are, what uh, criminals are doing, uh, and how can we adapt to that and improve together? So it's always about uh, cutting down on uh, how successful criminals can be when they're trying to commit financial crime. So it's all about education. It's all about staying on top of the trends within the market. It's all about uh, co-educating the, mm. the partners that we have because we have insights from a data standpoint. Our partners have insights from a technology standpoint. And by sharing that, it, it allows us to improve together. So we can, uh, you know, again, work towards that goal of reducing the amount of crime in the financial market yeah. space. Yeah, that makes total sense. Because for me, I think digital transformation has been a huge 
a huge win here for for the entire uh, anti-financial crime community, right? We managed to move away in most places from very manual Excel-based processes to, you know, automated processes, really refined process, a very strong digital journey uh, where we have, you know, very beautiful single screen solutions, very, very beautiful configurations that mean that for the compliance officer who is doing those checks, everything is a bit of a dream, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure it's still incredibly hard, but, it's, <laughs> you know, things are still going well. Things are, things are they're not spending so much time on that paper process anymore. Mm. And I think I think that's a that's a huge that's a huge win for us um in, in the anti financial crime world. And I think you're absolutely right. It's it's not about changing what the compliance officer does or uh what people who are fighting financial crime actually do. It's about being as effective as possible at it. So mm. doing less, like you said, manual activities, but doing more uh you know, strategic activities, more focused activities, things that are actually going to make more of a difference rather than, you know, tedious, busy work, as you might say, uh, that has to be done, but it's allowing you to focus on more improvement or value-added activity. Yeah, and also just on that, like there's been studies to show that actually improves like workers' mental health too, like moving to automation. So manual tasks typically would, you know, bore a lot of employees and would kind of get in the way of them really delivering, you know, work or value or really making an impact. So, yeah, there's been a lot of studies to show actually the impact of automation on mental health wellness. Which makes sense, right? Because I think I think for me throughout my career, one of the things I've always found frustrating is there's so much work to be done before you can do the work. Yeah. Right. So so removing that and through automation, I, I completely agree. It's, of course, it's going to make people's lives better because rather than filling out a form and sending it to your manager who's then going to send it to their manager's going to send it to the MLRO you're going to have you know someone just they, they've set the policy they've set the process and you just have to work through it do your investigations close out your alerts and get things done and actually I mean with regards to automation sanctions data upkeep that used to be an incredibly manual process right mm-hmm. I think uh, you'd have armies of analysts going to every single like OFAC for example but also also the EU and all, all sorts of um, major regulators and finding their sanctions list for every single country, essentially, and mm-hmm. manually updating them. Whereas now, I think I've heard of stories where um, PEP data is updated minutes, mm-hmm. if not seconds, after mm-hmm. um, elections are, are announced, essentially, right? So mm-hmm. you have MPs being, in the UK, you have MPs being uh, updated as PEPs, um, mm-hmm before they've even been sworn into their position sometimes, <laughs> yeah. which is incredible. Um, and before it used to just be a really arduous process, but now those compliance officers can actually focus on compliance. Yeah, and then, you know, if you you were kind of alluding to the fact that, you know, we can use automation in the data delivery, the data discovery. So like you say, you know, sanctions are announced or, uh, you know, PEPs are uncovered, but it, it's more than that. There's mm-hmm. just not just looking at a list and saying, okay, this is the name, let's plug it into a database. It's actually about understanding what the meaning of those sanctions are and making it useful for people to, who need to use that data. But mm. it goes beyond just looking at that list and plugging it in. It looks at, okay, what are the networks and the relationships? Risk doesn't just stop at a name on a list. It expands beyond that. So there's also very much a, a human element in understanding in what is uh, the network or the relationship of that sanctioned entity, mm. uh, where does the risk cascade to, um, and that's not always easy to do with technology, which is a kind of a differentiation point for WorldCheck because we very much highly quality control everything. We use technology and tools to make sure data is up to date very, very quickly. 
but it's more about understanding what is the additional data that's not on that list. What can we go out and find? What can mm -hmm. we uncover that is beyond just surface level? Mm -hmm. And just to pull us back to the whole partnerships aspect of this, how how do partnerships accelerate that whole issue, right? Because automation is going to happen regardless. We're going to have uh, new technology coming through all the time. But how, what do you think the the network effect of that partnership has on accelerating, um, not necessarily automation, but accelerating the whole compliance journey? So I, I think it's about, again, kind of going back to that point of, you know, collaborating, sharing information and insights. So uh, from the technology provider standpoint or the, the par our partners uh, standpoint, they're very closely aligned with people who are doing um, working with the system, working with the platform that they're, they're using. They're going to have feedback. They're going to have insights that they want to share uh, and making sure that that comes back to us uh, in a way in which we can collaboratively bring a solution, not mm -hmm. software and data, but it's actually delivering a solution. So that's something that we rely on heavily. You know, we love to get feedback from our partners. We love to hear about what is successful, what's not successful, what are the trends looking like uh, with uh, a proposal that's going out for uh, a large business, or what are the trends in terms of uh, RFIs or, or information gathering that's just being happening in the market. So it, it's, it is that collaboration of uh, understanding what is a combined solution going to look like to be effective. Yeah, it's, it's really great to hear because I think one, one of the things that we're always really aware of in when, I, when I'm doing research in, in financial crime is how, for example, organized crime gangs and terrorist financing, well, terrorist groups, I should say, mm -hmm. how they work together. And they, they uh, essentially create this very strong, powerful network effect by, you know, taking all the all the dirty money that crime gangs make and all of the... Um, the money laundering uh, expertise that terrorist groups are very excellent at and working together to to create essentially like a, a super partnership of criminal behavior mm -hmm. yeah. and so so it's great to hear that there is there is the sim the same thing happening on on the side of people who are trying to stop that sort of activity right but i mean one of, one of the things one of the issues that i think you have to walk a quite a fine line across is the sensitivity of data right because mm -hmm. obviously GDPR very important. Mm -hmm. Lots of regulations to, to bear in mind around privacy. Yeah. So how how do you really walk that line um, when it comes to partnerships? How do you make sure that you're not ever, um, I guess I guess straying and and making sure that you're using data in the correct way? Yeah. Uh, with with our data th again, there is uh, personal identifiable information. GDPR is a a topic that we're well aware of and we stay on top of. Um, <laughs> But it's all about it's all about making sure that the the data that we are delivering is being used for a legitimate purpose. And the reason why we do collect that data, the reason why we do update it and and, and keep it refreshed and, and current and up to date is our goal is to fight financial crime. Mm. That's that's the business that we're in. We have a mutual goal with our end customers by delivering that data. And and that's really why we take it seriously, but it's also the reason why we uh, you know, do bring all of that data together in a way in which um, our, our clients require and our clients need it. So we're, we're very sensitive to the fact that, you know, we have a responsibility by by doing that, by providing it. Yeah. And that's why we also trust, you know, a partner like Refinitiv, because they have the right data governance, policies, procedures in place that we know that the risks of anything going wrong, you know, are very low. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Well, actually, that ties back into something that I think you were talking about earlier, Paul, which I wanted to I wanted to come back to. You saying how the API is is such a, a key part of how you plug into your partnerships, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how how do you think? Like, what role do you think APIs have led? Uh, really in being integral to digitalization efforts and digital transformation? And how do you think um, they help enable data upkeep, essentially? Yeah, so, I, you know, APIs have certainly uh, become widely adopted. I think before, uh, and, and by before I mean several years ago, uh, APIs may not have been a popular method. They may not have been seen as secure. Uh, they might have uh, been perceived as, oh, well, data is just getting... Uh, you know, shot out and shared and, you know, we don't have control over it. But I think a lot of people have learned that it is very safe. It is very secure. Well, if, if you're using the right standards, which, yeah. Yeah. you know, that, that's important. And, and you know, we, we have to stay current up to that. Um, but but it's the understanding of, OK, first of all, what actually is an API? And a lot more people have that understanding now than they did several years ago. Mm-hmm. And they understand that it is a safe delivery mechanism. So, uh, again, I think it's about people becoming educated, people uh, you know, learning it in schools and understanding, you know, how technology is evolving. You know, APIs are very commonplace in our everyday lives. We might not see it, but uh, it's very widely adopted. So it's a way in which uh, people can trust how the data is actually being delivered. It's a way for us to also deliver that trust, deliver the data, keep it refreshed, keep it up to date. Yeah, that, make, that makes sense. Actually, I remember like four or five years ago writing loads of blogs on APIs and React APIs and why they're the best type of API to <laughs> to do anything and they're super secure. Yeah, and it was it was it was a real effort. But you're right, like people are very open to it now. I think I think there is there is this kind of expectation now to have an API if you're going to plug into someone else's systems or data. But how do you how do you do you find that works whenever you're encountering legacy technology solutions? Mm. Because that's that, for me that's one of the real almost miracles of APIs, right? Is that they've created this really interesting and efficient way of plugging in very cutting-edge tech, cloud-based, SaaS-based solutions to monolithic uh, legacy technology. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's current, it's modern, and trying to address a challenge of making everything coordinate and work together uh, will always be there. I don't think that goes away. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not like you're on one side of the fence or the other. It's it's sort of yeah. a, a transitional thing. But again, it's it's what is the trend in the market? Where are things going? And how can we support existing clients, see where clients are going, where they need to be in the future, and making sure that our product and the way that we uh, deliver data and information is aligned with that. Yeah. Like with our partnership, we have to just, you know, bring our clients along the journey. But I think in reality, we are coming across situations where, um, clients are using legacy technology, you know, they've got on-premise solutions, so we have to work together to see what is, you know, the best way to kind of work with that client. Um, and that's just the reality, right? Yeah, and and I think the years of experience that Finergo has with speaking with clients, going back to that point around building trust, they can have that conversation because, you know, companies are going through a journey, like you said. Yeah. It's not, you know, you're not just here at one point in time, you're on a path. And, you know, Finergo has that experience they can guide clients down that path, have that conversation with them. Exactly. And that's extremely beneficial from a partnership front because they've got that experience. They, they can have that conversation. Yeah, exactly. And it comes down to, again, you know, the education. Um, and we're seeing that with, um, you know, moving our customers also from, you know, uh, on-premise solution to the cloud. Um, so, yeah, all of the stuff that you would go through 
all of the learnings I think you know are very very beneficial and you know we've had a great partner to sort of support that transition as well <laughs> yeah I think that's a really great message to reiterate actually because I know for myself anyway sometimes I get a little bit impatient <laughs> and sometimes when I when I come across like outdated policies and and processes I just think oh I'll just burn it down and, <laughs> and let's start again from the ashes but you can't do that right like especially if you're if you're a regulated entity and especially if you're mm. holding like or working with retail cash right the regulator will destroy you if you, <laughs> if you were to burn everything down so and i think i think there's an element here of meeting people where they live yeah right you gotta you gotta understand that these there's, there's been there has been a journey here and they have gone to this point for a reason mm-hmm. a lot of very intelligent very hard-working people have worked very hard for decades sometimes right mm-hmm. to build something and there's you need to have a level of respect for that yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. the business doesn't stop because they're looking to make a change. Like I said, it's yeah. not you're at one point in time and you jump to the next point. It's always transitory. You're always moving in mm. a direction. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's great to hear. Um, so I, I wanted to just pull back a little bit now. Well, not pull back. I, I wanted to, to change directions a little bit, just talk a little bit more about uh, sanctions data. Mm. Yeah. And I was talking about how sanctions data and PEP data can be updated in seconds these days. But why do you think that even really matters, right? Because if if regulators aren't even updating that information until, you know, a day or so, well, probably not a day, like a few hours after after um, after an, uh, announcements have come in, why does it matter to, to have that data the second it's gone, it's changed, do you think? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to managing risk or, or, or dealing with risk and, you know, sanctions are something that are, they're, they're serious. You know, there's implications for not complying with that. And the more up to date, the more up to the minute, up to the hour, up to the second, you know, as quick as you can be, uh, you can make informed decisions based off of that. I think if somebody who's looking at, uh, you know, risk in general, nobody ever complains about having too many data points uh, you know, they, they want as much information as quickly as they can. And that way they can decide, okay, how do we react to this risk? They can be more strategic. Nobody wants to be reactionary. They want to be proactive. They want to get all of the information right now and make a decision and evaluate uh, what, their, what their next steps are. So it's really important for us to deliver that sanctions information uh, as close to real time as possible. You know, that, that's the goal. Uh, but again, if, if you're not following... Uh, you know, if, if, if you're not staying up to date with that, there's some, you know, there's some serious penalties of doing that, uh, or sorry, of not doing that, of not staying up to date with that. Yeah, so I guess there's, there's an element there of just, it's better to be safe than sorry, right? Yeah, but but at the same time, you know, it, it's it's reputation as well. You know, you, you want to be perceived as being, uh, you know, a thought leader or proactive or not someone who's, oh, you know, we've reacted to this situation, it caught us off guard. Nobody wants to be perceived that way in the market. So being, uh, uh, again, being that proactive thought leader uh, and, and having that reputation is is really important. Exactly yeah. why we're working with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's also like a really effective projection of not just strength, but competence, right? Is that, is that you know, we have this information right to hand right away and we're not going to get caught out by anyone. So Yeah, and, and also, you know, if, if criminals know that you're late to react, they're going to exploit that, you know. It, it's, yeah. it, you know, criminals aren't stupid. <laughs> Let's be honest, you know. they If they find a way in which they can capitalize on a situation, they certainly will. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's always worth worth noting, right, is that these people aren't stupid. Then they, they, they spend just as much time working very hard to exploit these systems as people do 
trying to protect them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and and sanctions also evolved to react to that. I think you know right now the EU is looking at uh, sanctions that are targeting people who may be ev- evading sanctions at the moment. So it, it, it's a way in which um, you know sanctions aren't going away. It, it's it's not a fad. They're increasing at Refinitiv. We uh, you know we we actually just released it, but we have our global sanctions index. Um, encourage our our listeners to go and give that a Google. Um, but that that global sanctions index looks at what is the position of sanctions in the market today? Are they growing? Which, you know, surprise, surprise, they are. Uh, it, it's not going away. We see on average uh, a sanctions program lasting about 25 years. So they're also not very short term as well. So uh, again, it's it's not something that we see as uh, transitory. It, it's something that's here for the long term. It's something that's going to continue to grow. And then the, the research that we've done supports that. Yeah, I guess it makes sense that they last on average 25 years, right? When I think of sanctions, I mean, other than the war in Ukraine at the moment and Russia and all the sanctions happening there, mm-hmm. my next thought goes to North Korea and Iran, right? Mm-hmm. And those sanction regimes, I think, have been around since the 90s, maybe even before. So, so yeah, it, it makes sense that they've been around usually for a very, very long time. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and they evolve, you know, it's, it's not something that you implement and, oh, we've got the desired effect, you know. Again, the world changes, yeah. things change. We need to adapt, and sanctions adapt, and they change. So mm. it's very important to stay on top of them uh, because the government utilizes them as a tool, and mm. you know it, it's, a, it's a rule that we need to abide by. Yeah, exactly, which, which makes a ton of sense. So to go back to our partnerships uh, just, just one more time, uh, obviously, Fenergo is very KYC-focused, very much on the digital transformation side and this whole customer lifecycle management expertise. And then you have... Fenogo, not Fenogo, sorry. <laughs> and then you have Refinitiv uh, in, in this situation and with, with our partnership being, you know, really brilliant with sanctions data and sanction screening functionality. Mm-hmm. And why do you think it really matters to have these two elements tightly tied together? Like, what, what, is, the, what is the overarching benefit for not, not just the regulated business that needs to be, you know, meeting all of these criteria from the regulator mm-hmm. but what's the benefit for the customer at the end of it just the regular person in the street yeah so uh customers don't come to us to buy world check data and a clm platform customers come to us for a solution so they say this is our problem this is what we're trying to solve what can you do to help us mm-hmm. and that's what we're delivering together that combined solution it's not data plus software it's bigger than that and all of the things that Fenergo provides are useful in packaging that solution and making that solution useful to the clients so they know how to communicate the, the solution that they're delivering, the, the problems that they're solving. And our data is just a tool to help uh, you know, solve those problems. So the value that they're providing goes beyond, and, and the value that Fenergo is providing goes beyond just what a customer is shopping for. It's about solving the problems that they're really facing. Mm. Great pitch for us. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. Okay, so I just I just wanted to wrap us up now with AI discussion because that's how I wrap up all the conversations at the moment because AI is is the is the uh, the, the tool of the moment, right? Yeah. But we're already seeing AI tooling becoming part of the reg tech landscape. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how do you really think it's going to impact the entire financial crime world? Because now more vitally than ever, right? Criminals have access to AI tooling. Like anyone can sign up to chat GPT. And I know they've put in some protections around it. 
but we've all seen people gaming the system and figuring out ways to get the information they want yeah. out of those sorts of uh, programs. Yeah. But yeah. So how how do you think how do you think um, companies are going to be able to react to that? And how do you think AI is going to start being folded into these solutions? Yeah. Because from what I've seen, from what I've read, it seems like the only way to really combat AI is with AI. You're not going to have a human effectively challenging it. Sure. So uh, you're right. I think you know AI is being used in creative ways at the moment, but I think in practical ways that AI will be utilized. Uh, I think, I guess I'm pulling out the crystal ball here, but I think the way that companies will first tackle is it uh, tackle it or utilize it uh, will be to use it as a tool that's going to let people focus on value-added ta tasks. I talked earlier about how transitioning from manual processes to you know platforms mm -hmm. is, is a way to evolve. I think AI will further that. So taking things that may have required a lot of training in the past, it, it will remove that. So if a, an analyst has to learn how to do a, a sanctions check or, or read and understand sanctions mm -hmm. data, well, AI should be able to help with that. Uh, take somebody who may have required hours or weeks of training before, uh, AI can help them synthesize it, understand it, and take action with it much, much quicker. Uh, I think it can also be used to take away some of those tasks that uh, were very manual before, like maybe drafting a SAR report, submitting a SAR report. Um, AI would, would be able to help with that. But I, I also think that it's not going to replace uh, the human element of mm. fighting financial crime, because it's, it's important to understand that you ultimately are dealing with humans on the other side. Uh, and it does take a human element to really understand the, you know, the bigger picture. So I think AI will be a tool. It'll help. Uh, it'll allow people to focus on maximizing the you know, capabilities that they have as a human to read the entire situation. Um, and I think we'll start to see really cool ways of, of businesses to, to develop that. You know, I think, again, it, it's going to help productivity go up massively, I would say. Yeah, I completely agree with Paul. Um, just personally, some of the interesting use cases we're seeing are in transaction monitoring and screening with smart alerts um, and making sure that you can stop fraud, you know, as it's happening. So really uh, in its tracks. Um, so I think that will be one of the key differentiators that before the fraud has actually taken place, you'll be able to intervene a lot quicker, but you will need, you know, the human ultimately to interpret the data and, you know, look at the alerts that are coming through to stop that fraud. Yeah, I guess I guess from the the criminal side of things, not that I'm a criminal, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but from the criminal perspective perspective of things is that they'll just be able to massively up the volume of of attacks, right? And they'll be able to massively increase the the amount of noise out there. Mm. So so I guess that that shows why it's it's important to have like really strong sanctions tooling, mm -hmm. so that you're getting the data from the right places at the right times, um, because. I guess otherwise, you're you're really you're really gonna struggle, right? Like, mm -hmm. because it's just things are just gonna move so much faster. Because, like you said, velocity is gonna increase on the on the compliance officer side, but I think equally this is gonna increase on the on the criminal side. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a tool for for both people. Um, so I guess probably the most important thing is understanding the tool. So if you understand how it's being used by the criminals, you can utilize that to your advantage. So. Yeah. 
like all things, you know, it's it's all about understanding, knowing it. Uh, I don't think people know it and understand it fully. I mean, obviously there's experts in it, but I think, you know, the lay person or, you know, the people that are working in compliance now haven't really seen all the aspects in which it can be utilized. So we're, we're probably in a learning phase, I would say, in terms of trying to see what will, will play out with this new tool. Indeed, yeah. And I think that's also where AI is going. Um, it's being able to detect if it is a criminal using it. So, but again, we're early stages. There's a lot to learn. But I think, yeah, there is going to be, yeah, dedicated teams, you know, within the banks, within different organizations that will be trained to kind of spot to see if AI is being used by AI a criminal. Detection yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I really hope that does work. Although, you know, I remember dealing with like plagiarism section tools back at university and they were all terrible. So, <laughs> yeah. so I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that actually works out yeah. Yeah. in the end. So uh, b- before we go, I just wanted to ask you a bit about what, what do you think is really vital to making a partnership work? And not just, not just in, in, the, um, in, the, in the short term, but what do you think makes a long lasting partnership going forwards, especially in to a time of what is regulatory and economic uncertainty right now, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, there's a, a real, there's, 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 there's a lot of problems that are happening in the world right now. There's lots of real threats happening right now. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you think is the best way that companies can work together to partner together to navigate those? Yeah, I think what makes good partnerships good and strong. Uh, I talked a little bit about trust earlier. That's, that's super important. It's very key. But another key element that makes those partnerships strong, I believe, is transparency. So I can't tell you how many times we've had conversations and, you know, somebody drops a little bit of information. It's something that they've been thinking about for for months. And it's like, I wish you had told me that, you know, months ago when you were considering this, because we could have provided you with a solution for that, or it's something that we're also considering. Maybe we could have bounced ideas off of each other. So I, I think that that transparency can go a long way into understanding what is the focus? What are all the areas in which you can collaborate together? Even if there's areas where you can't collaborate together, at least you know. Mm. So I think you know transparency goes a really long way to making sure that that trust is there and you can be successful together. Yeah, because in reality, you know, we are all types of partners generally tend to be frenemies. So you've got to be honest about where you can collaborate and but also where are the red lines where you just won't work together. And it's good to have that honest conversation. Um, and communication is always, you know, a key aspect. Yeah, you're very right. I think, you know, in the in fintech, regtech, uh, you know, it's it's kind of like a spider web. You know, there's overlaps, there's, you know, connections, you know, there's things yeah. that happen behind the scenes. And if, if you're at least aware of it and you're, you're understanding of what the, the whole situation looks like, you know, you can navigate that together. Exactly. I mean, it sounds like really like a essentially a relationship having the honest conversations having the hard conversations yeah defining the relationship yeah yeah you gotta uh, have the hard conversations <laughs> to have the good times so yeah, yeah. yeah. No, which, which all makes total sense right and it's yeah and it's these sorts of stakes it really matters to have those conversations as well right so that that makes mm. that makes total sense yeah so paul thank you so much for joining us and also Simon, of course but paul uh where can people find you if they're looking for you online uh sure yeah and and thank you so much for having me it's been a real pleasure to to have this chat uh, you can uh, look me up on LinkedIn, Paul Yetzi, uh, I-E-Z-Z-I is the surname, uh, or look us up, uh, Refinitiv. We're part of the London Stock Exchange Group. Uh, feel free to reach out. Great. And Sonal, where can people find you? 
same place on <laughs> on LinkedIn, um, sonam.puri at finergo.com as well. If, if people want to just uh, email me, probably easier to do it that way. But I do respond to LinkedIn messages as well. Great. So uh, for anyone listening who does want to partner up with Finergo, email Sonam straight away. <laughs> <laughs> but great. Thanks. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining me today. And thank you for listening to this episode of Finergo FinTalks. I'm Dana Nasigadu, and I've been joined by Paul Yeti from Refinitiv and Sonam Puri at Finergo. Make sure to subscribe to the show. It's available wherever you choose to get your podcasts, and you can always find us at finergo.com. <laughs>